have to give me a second here. I got the man. My it's, these allergies and my throat is so dry. Certainly. And we are all for willing to make the sacrifice. Oh. Well, I was thinking probably the next time I will be get to sit over there and I'll try one out. Thank you. so much for being here tonight and um, 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 get to where I wanted to go or where I wanted to start because I've just kind of been all over the place. uh, with this teaching on the heart. Um, I mentioned in the very beginning that some 50 years ago, now you can think back to where you may have been. Uh, some of you may not have been here, but um, you may have been kicking slats out of your baby bed. I don't know. <laughs> may, may have just got your driver's license. But uh, I was already a mature adult. And God started doing something in my heart. And you know when you have had a confrontation with God. You're all old enough, mature enough, wise enough, and experienced enough you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's why you're still faithful today. One of the first things, this was not when I got saved, but it was when I really gave my life, my commitment to the Lord. Oh, He had asked for it many times before. But sometimes something always got in the way. And there were plenty of things to get in the way. And somehow the Holy Spirit spoke to me and wanted me to start going to God's Word and to focus on the heart, the heart of man. I don't know where that came from. I do now. I didn't then. And so I just started, you know, writing down every passage. You know, um, that Young's Concordance, that got a lot of work out. Not that little concordance in your Bible. And I began reading these passages. It was like I had never read any of them. And what are you saying? God, what are you saying to me? And over a two-year period of time, I then put all of those passages together, the ones that uh, 
had really been meaningful to me, and I put a lesson together, a sermon. But what it was in the beginning is not what it is today, because now I've got 50 years' experiences since of that message. The one passage that really got my attention was Jeremiah 17 and 9. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. And who can know it? And that word deceit just hit me up the side of the head because I was a deceitful person. I mean, me and Jacob, you wouldn't have known the difference. We've been twin brothers. And that's what the proper noun Jacob comes from. Same root word. He was deceitful. Then, one day I got over to Jeremiah chapter 18. The story of when God told Jeremiah... Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. So he got up, perhaps early the next morning, and he went down to the potter's house. He saw the potter working to work on the wheel, and he made a vessel it seemed good unto him to make. But he noticed that the vessel that he had made had a defect, it was marred. That's what the Scripture says. Something went wrong. Not because something was lacking in the potter, but something that was lacking in the clay. And after a while, I got that message. Something was lacking in the clay, not in the potter. Clay has defects. The clay gets scratched and dented and beat up. It goes through trials and tribulations. Things happen. We don't know why to the clay. And then the word of the Lord came again unto Jeremiah saying, um, Jeremiah, uh, Israel cannot not do the same with you as the potter has with the clay. So, the potter always has something good in mind. And just because we get a defect in us, just because we have a carnal nature, we can be remade as long as we are pliable. We can be useful to God. Then, the fourth thing that he learned and I learned was in chapter 19. In chapter 19, he called Jeremiah again. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go get, go down and I want you to purchase a bottle, an earthen bottle. And I want you to get the elders of the priest and the elders of the people and I want you to take that and go down to the valley of Hinnon. 
the trash where they kept the trash, where they burned the trash, and where it was a, a cemetery in times of drought and famine. I mean, they, people didn't have money or resources to be buried, so they were. It's an open cremation, crematorium, because it's lost its value. It's no longer useful. And that cut pretty deep into my heart. Now, we all look at fear differently. And godly fear, maybe I'll, you know, you know, I think that'd be something good to talk about sometime. But at that age in my life, let me tell you, I was scared. I was afraid. It's like when your mom or dad, when your little kid said, you know, you do that one more time, I'm going to call the police. You know, and they'd scare you. You know, and kids would be fearful when they went to bed. But I'm telling you, I did not want to meet that God. And yes, I learned what godly fear is. But then I was just absolutely afraid that something was going to happen. In fact, I'll tell you, I believed so certainly that I was going to die by the time I was 28. And I never forgot it. Now, I'm not going to argue whether that's good fear, bad fear. I just know that's what was done. Now, I'm going to have to reprogram her and go back here and find where I am uh, so I don't just start rattling off stuff. Um, because I could just kind of go on forever. Uh, then later on in my life, I ran across a passage in Deuteronomy. This one was in Deuteronomy chapter 8. The book of Deuteronomy has taught me many, many lessons about God, of who God is. I'm going to share the one in Deuteronomy 8. But the latter part of the book of Deuteronomy taught me biblical prosperity, which is not a part of this lesson. But it's right there. And I've yet to hear it preached. Now, Deuteronomy 8, 2-16. This sort of a summary of the words. God tells Moses, I have brought you into the desert. Well, what's the desert to you and me? The desert is the midbar. That's the Hebrew word. The desert is the place where you find the presence and the voice of God. Israel happened to be in a desert, a literal desert. You and I can be anywhere 
It's wherever God chooses to speak to us. It's where we ask, Lord, we come into Your presence. But do we really? Are we really that interested to hear what God has to say or to tell God what we want to say? So, He says, I have brought you into the desert. And He tells them why. To prove you. To test you. Now, Prove what? Prove the real character of the person you are. And when, like me, you've lived in hypocrisy a lot, just putting on a front, well, you know, that spoke to my heart. To prove you. Um, I have a little interest in uh, proof coins might know about them, you might not. The U.S. man has proof coins. And a proof coin is a coin that has been examined for purity without alloys. It's never been, it's uncirculated. And they have um, tested it. And they put a rating or a value on it. MS 65, 68, 70. And then they seal it up with that uh, registered number, whatever it is, that they come up with. So it never goes into circulation. And there's supposed to be more value. Now, why do I say that? Uh, proving something is God wants to find the alloys. He wants to find the impurities in my heart. That's what He wanted to do with Israel. I brought you here in this desert, not just to teach you about a desert, because what do you need to know about a desert after about the third day? So, to prove you, I want to know what's in your heart. The alloys, the, 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 the situations, the imperfections. I brought you into the desert to test you. And God tests us. He tests us. I didn't say He tempts us. He tests us. He gives us lots of tests. It's an examination. He corrects us. He disciplines us. Because He loves us. And that's what He did to Israel. I brought you into the desert to humble you. And there I moved to the front of the class. Because if anybody needed to be humbled, it was me. I mean... Totally ashamed. And it's something I've always had to wrestle with. Oh, I could make excuses. I had a poor self-image. I grew up in, you know, in a situation, in a family, in a home that I was ashamed of and all those things. And so those type of people, they want me, I had to prove to the world, you know, that I was different. But it birthed pride in me. 
right out of the devil's hatchery. And I mean, pride really brings you down. And God hates pride. And He had the same problem with Israel. I brought you in the desert to humble you. To get you on your knees. To get your attention. And I brought you in the desert to know what is in your heart. Now, does God know what is in our heart? Do we know what's in our heart? Do we know that we're being deceived? And the heart's desperately wicked? And who can know it? And that's why I shared with you in that first lesson of so many ministries and situations because people are in denial until something goes public. God said to Moses, I allowed you to hunger because God knew they were going to bring it up. That's the first thing men will bring up. You brought us out here and we got hungry. Yeah. Yeah, you hungered. I had a purpose in that. Not because I couldn't make you know dinner for you. But I'm telling you, there were times in my life I knew real hunger. I mean hunger. For a teenage kid, I knew hunger. I knew what it was to go to bed hungry in some foster home, out in the garage somewhere, and in high school. That period of time when I lived on the streets, I knew hunger. I knew the time my senior year in high school, I was so glad I could work in the school cafeteria to get one meal a day. I graduated from high school a hundred pounds less than what I weigh today. I knew hunger. And God said, I brought you into the desert and you hungered. You thirst. You got, you know, you needed water. So you start looking to where the source is. And God is the source. And why did God do all of this? He says, so that you might walk in my ways. And that's what God had been telling me for years and reverently fear my name. And I got my Sunday sermon. You know, I mean, I heard what God had to say. David said, Create in me, O Lord, a pure heart and a steadfast spirit within me. Psalms 139 and 24. So God searches the heart and he, he examines the heart and the minds and the Bible says He rewards according to what He finds. Jeremiah 17 and 10. Another time David said, Teach me your way so that I will walk in truth. Give me 
an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Psalms 86 and 11. So, when I study the Word, I get out the big chief tablet. And I wrote all those things down that I just shared with you. Especially out of Deuteronomy 8. And then what Jeremiah said. And then what David said. And I thought, what would that involve? I mean, what would God have to do to test me? To prove my heart? To give me a right heart? To give me an undivided heart? To give me a pure heart? And to know what is in my heart? So, over 50 years, I have had a number of experiences, just like everybody else. Not that our experiences are the same. And, like I've mentioned to you before, likely you would find my name somewhere in that who's who among all those other situations that I'd mentioned to you about other people. So, there came a time when I decided to pray about it because I had a lot on that um, big chief tablet. And I'd gone through several number two pencils. So, the best I can remember, I started my prayer something like this. Dear Lord, I pray that You would purify my heart. That You would create in me a creation, see? Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. You know, the Lord replied. That kind of shocked me at first because I heard it. He said, you would? You know, sometimes we just pray words. You know, they, they, they sound good. And the Lord said, you would? Yeah, I would. (laughs) He said it would require a number of things to occur. Well, at the time, I'm all ears. And I spent the rest of that day learning about those things. And God says something about He needed to make a call. And I, you know, I found it a little humorous at first because I didn't understand it. God needs to make a call? He said, yeah. I need to bring in an excavator. Now, I've been in the development and building business. You know what an excavator is. Because I put in subdivisions. And I mean, you're going to put in a street, you're going to dig down deep and dig a lot of stuff out to put in that street and that alley and the curbs and whatever. So God usually will speak to us in a language that we can understand where we are in life. He might start with a a scripture or a parable or a teaching or a sermon. But then when it gets down to just you and God, 
He's going to use the area where you are so you'll know it is from God. And as we got started, God said, you know, we're going to need to bring in a searchlight. A searchlight? Yeah, searchlight. Well, what are we going to do with that? It's the searchlight of the Holy Spirit. And I got a real formal introduction to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we need to turn on the searchlight. I mean, those searchlights, you know, like they put out and you see going around in the sky. He wasn't talking about a little flashlight. It was a searchlight. And we're going to look at my heart? Yep. We're going to examine it. And we're going to see really what is in there. We're going to uncover all of your secret sins. All of my buried iniquities. Now, this was Preacher Joe. This was Pastor Joe. This was Elder Joe. This was the teacher. This was the successful businessman. And God's going to turn on the searchlight and expose all of that. Trust me, I didn't feel too good. Almost regretted praying that prayer. And I wasn't sure I wanted to go on. And I sure wasn't going to re uh, repeat the request. At another time, God said, we need to bring in a demolition crew. Boy, it got pretty heavy. What are we going to do there? We're going to tear down the strongholds in your life. I didn't know much about strongholds back then, but I sure did after this examination. We're going to break the chains of darkness. And at first I resisted. In fact, I had some words for God. I don't know if you've ever argued with God. Job did. I did. But the Holy Spirit said, you know, I'm not here to do a makeover. And I'm not here to do a remodeling job. I'm here to remove everything and anything and all the things in your heart. Everything that is contrary to the will of God. And everything that's contrary to the will of God in your life. And if it's not holy, it's going to be removed. Now, let me tell you the picture I got in my, I saw in my spirit. Cranes. Cranes. I mean, we're not building the Trump Tower. Cranes filled the area. Then the dump truck showed up. 
and they were filled with debris. Out of my heart. That was the picture. Um, and what could I do? Watch. Weep. Let go of some of that pride. Be humble. Accept the will of God. And I realized that these examinations always took place, or nearly always took place, around Rosh Hashanah. The Jewish New Year. The ten days before Yom Kippur. And that's why I have mentioned in several lessons that I've shared with you about Yom Kippur because of so many experiences that I've had that I will never forget. And so every year, you know, I, each year I get one of those big desk calendars. Not too many people use them, but I use them. I can write all my notes on there and, you know, keep up with things and see it. And um, I don't have to go to my phone. But the first thing I do usually when I go by the yearly, that yearly calendar is I go find not what day Christmas is going to fall on or what day we're going to go on vacation. I'm looking for Rosh Hashanah and I'm highlighting it. And Yom Kippur. And it's going to be on my mind all year long. Because I know when it arrives... There's going to be an examination. There's going to be a test in my life. And it happens every year and I'm prepared for it. I call it inventory time. That's what it is for me. At another time, I really needed a breakthrough in my life. And so I asked God for this breakthrough to remove any thoughts, any feelings, any desires, and any obsessions that were not pleasing to Him. And if it didn't glorify Him, to remove it. And I heard a four-letter word from God. It was, Stop! Do you know what you're asking for? Do you know what you're asking the Holy Spirit to do? So he says, let's take them one by one. Let's talk about your thoughts. Your thoughts, my thoughts, see. So he said, bring in the backhoe. I mean, I've been through this process before. It may have been cranes. You know, it may have been something else. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, some other piece of machinery you know, excavator or whatever. But this time, he's going to bring in the backhoe. And he said, we need to bring in the hazmat team. You know, I'm learning things I didn't know. And then he said, it's going to require some germ blaster treatment. We're talking about my thoughts. <laughs> and then a remedial asbestos removal service needs to come in. And I wasn't sure I'd signed up for all this. And I asked him, can we just move on? 
Let me tell you how I felt. I felt like I had roofed a house in 90 degree heat and high humidity. Now, if you've ever done that, you know what that is. Or maybe like I was running for election and I was just waiting for the votes to be counted. But you're sweating. Well, then we got around to, after the thoughts, then we brought up the feelings. Boy, did I get an eye-opening then. God said, I've got a new vaccine for feelings. Well, I took the vaccine. There wasn't any argument about that. Your feelings have you feeling the way that you feel. Meanwhile, uh, some angels, they were rounding up some guys and they were coming to power wash my feelings so I wouldn't feel any longer like I was a victim. It's not about feelings, it's about faith. And then I'll never forget the time. Never will I forget this time. When God said, we need to talk about your desires. And the Holy Spirit didn't waste a moment. He said, we're going to need to call in the exterminator. An exterminator? Why? An exterminator. There's so much bacteria. There's so much contamination. We're going to need a remedial team to come in. Your heart is a waste disposal site. Now, can you imagine hearing God say that to you? You're not going to argue about it. You ask Him. To deal with your thoughts, your feelings, and your desires. God asked me, have you ever read your wish book of your desires? I mean of your secret desires. The ones you don't want to talk about. And the exterminator went to work. And all I could do is bow my head. I sure didn't need to be reminded. And then we talked about obsessions. And God's heavenly opinion was, we need a pump truck to come in for this one. A pump truck? Yeah. We need a pump truck to come in. Well, what kind of a pump truck? One like that pumps out septic tanks to pump out your heart of your obsessions? And I said, well, Lord, we've got some air freshener around here. How about just lighting a candle up? You know, you have to find a little humor with God. 
because it's uh, it's so gripping. Well, he said those weren't going to do the job. He says, you have spirits. You have soul ties. Well, what's those? I mean, what's that all about? And if God was ever a poet, because the way He told me about my spirits and soul ties, they are your daytime friends, your nighttime guests, and your comfort keepers. And I've never forgotten that phrase. They are your daytime friends, your nighttime guests, and your comfort keepers. You can interpret that any way you want. And he said, they've all got to go. Talk about a knife going through your heart. A knife went through mine. Well, the septic tank got cleaned out. And I said, Lord, did we get it all? His next instruction was, we need to bring in a moving van. A moving van? For what? Yeah, we need to bring in a moving van. And we need to box all this up in a sealed container. My thoughts, my feelings, my desires, and my obsessions. The front end loaders went to work. And they loaded up that moving van. I started praying. Lord, I know that when my heart is pure and right, it pleases You. And I want to please You more than anything. So, where do we need to start? This was another Yom Kippur. Well, Rosh Hashanah, leading up to Yom Kippur. The Lord said, I didn't want to bring it up. But, we need to bring in a tree removal service. I mean, God uses all these illustrations. And, I mean, I got the point. Modern day parables. And he said, Jesus has been out there checking the trees out there on your acreage. And he said, the report's not too good. Um, the landscaping around your heart is nothing but dead trees, wilted leaves. Your trees are infested with disease, dead bark, and boars. Your trees are dead. No fruit and no root. Mm. So the Holy Spirit's tree removal service uprooted a tree. And there it was. Maggots just eating all of the roots. And that tree was so dead, 
the Lord said, you know, this won't even make good firewood. That hurt pretty deep. And at this point I realized that I couldn't have a right heart without God making it clean and pure, like He says in Proverbs 20 and verse 9. I asked God to fill me afresh with this love that it would crowd out anything and everything in me that was unloving and to show me the condition of my heart. He said, my will, my word reveals the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word does. Hebrews 4 verse 12. And another encounter. It wasn't a retreat. You talk about embarrassment. You talk about humiliation. God said, I've got a video of your heart. Mm. Would you like for me to play it on the big screen? What? No way! The video of my heart? I said, not by any means. He said, watch it. I'll be back later. When he came back later, he said, we need to go to the exam room. And there, on that occasion, angels were standing by. And there were x-rays and an MRI and a, you know, and a full uh, scan, body scan, lab, the, uh, blood work was drawn, labs. And, um, and he said, it all matched up. It confirmed the video. Now what are you going to do? I fell on my face. I confessed as best I could. I repented and I gave Him my broken, shameful heart. And He reminded me, rend your heart and not your garments. Job chapter 2. And I continued weeping. And I mean, I wept. And He accepted me, no longer broken, but forgiven. After a lengthy time of testing, examination, improving my heart, I finally came into agreement with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would help me keep a close watch over my heart. And I accepted, finally, the heart cannot be trusted. The heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. And who can know it? And what Jeremiah had said in 17 and 9 had now been confirmed to me over 50 years of experiences and giving my heart to the Lord. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 I now know why David prayed, You, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek You, and I thirst for You with my whole being, with my whole heart. It longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Psalm 63 and 1. 
I conclude with this. Hezekiah concluded his life in a statement that he made before God. He said, God, Lord God, I have walked before you in truth and with a perfect heart, and I have done that which is right in your sight. Isaiah 38 and 3. Personally, I can't think of any better testimony. I can't think of a better legacy than to be able to say, Lord God, I have walked before you with a perfect heart, and I have done that which is good in your sight. What a legacy. And I'm reminded, we all are writing our legacy every day. Well, the Bible says a lot about the heart. Every prophet talked about the heart and he talked about repentance. Jesus talked about the heart. John the Baptist preached about the heart and the need for repentance. And um, have you ever thought six out of the seven churches of Asia were told to repent? because of where their heart was. That's about 86% of the church. And you know that might be about the percent today. I don't know. Six out of seven need to repent. I know I sure needed to and get a pure heart. Every day, I'm reminded of what Paul said when he said, let us purify our heart from everything that contaminates. If it contaminates our body, if it contaminates our spirit, perfecting holiness. Why? Out of reverence for God. Second Corinthians 7 in verse 1. So that's what I wanted to share with you about the heart and about my personal experiences. I think it's good to go to that exam room and let God examine our hearts. And I believe that when we have that visitation from the Holy Spirit, when we have it individually, the church will have a visitation. And I firmly believe there will be no revival until it happens. And let's hope that it doesn't come by way of judgment. But we just do it out of humility, out of reverence for God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we worship You tonight in the beauty of Your holiness. Only You are holy. And yet You have called us to be holy like You. We realize that the only way that we can be holy is by following the leading of your Holy Spirit within us. Show us how to pursue holiness like you have said in your word to do. And Holy Spirit, you are the well from which we draw holiness. So help us to spend time with you every day. For the fresh flow of your Spirit in us, which will enable us
to live a holy life. In the blessed, holy name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. That was not easy to share. We are going to have communion. (laughs) If y'all, somebody will pass it out. We sure appreciate that. I've shared with you as you open up your uh, emblems. Uh, I've shared with you the last two times out of Leviticus 16, 21 to 23 about the two goats. One was a sacrificial goat. The other, we refer to it as a scapegoat. In the second temple period, Uh, when what was going to be what was the scapegoat what we refer to as the scapegoat um, as it was leaving the temple going to be taken to the wilderness the wilderness as I pointed out in Hebrew is Gezerah it really went to the land of Gezerah a place that only God knows because our sins are not a place to ever be visited again, to ever be seen, or to ever be shared. And so only God knows where they go. And that's a great Hebrew word. But in that second temple period, as the goat was being led out, many of the Jews would line the old roads and streets, and uh, they'd spit on that goat. And they'd pull its hair. And they'd yell at the goat. Get out of here. Be gone. Bear our sins. And don't return. And the Jewish authorities got concerned. Why? If that goat were to return, it would come back with their sins. And so they had the goat led out into the wilderness. It was five Sabbath days journey that they took the goat and they threw it over backwards over a deep cliff into a ravine so that it would never be seen again and it would die. Now, there's a parallel passage in the New Testament. It's in Matthew 25 that Jesus talked about. He talked about the end time judgment. And He talked about a time of that judgment being 
a separation of the sheep and the goats, one on the left, one on the right. The parallel back to the Old Testament teaching was that goats associated with sin are cursed and they're sent away never to be seen again. They're abandoned. They're forsaken. Which parallels the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 25. Some on the left, some on the right. Our Lord Jesus was sacrificed for us, for our sins, that they would be removed and taken away, never to be seen again, blotted out forever. We rejoice tonight as we take communion. We honor His life, we honor His death, and we celebrate His resurrection for our salvation in eternity. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we honor and reverence You as we take this bread, as we drink this cup. May You be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can go ahead and take the drink the cup. Okay, uh, I don't think we meet again till December the seventh, do we? Isn't that about when it is? Hmm? Okay, so we don't meet again till December the seventh. We have Thanksgiving, and uh, then we will meet on December the seventh and the following week, the fourteenth, because of the Christmas holidays, and. Um, To you guys, I love you deeply. I want to thank you.